0: Well, thanks for the warm welcome. Um, so these words, do, does anyone know what enculturation or contextualization means?
1: No. Nope.
0: <laughs> Has anyone heard of that word?
2: Just a guess.
0: Take a guess. Well,
2: <laughs> to think of us being influenced by nur- n- nurture as well as by nature. Okay. And plus the need to be part of a community, a group. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we're not islands. That's a very probably inadequate, but yes. Well,
0: the major part. So a lot of it has to do with culture and faith and the relationship between these two things. Mm. And so the word inculturation is sort of based off like incarnation, like Jesus's incarnation, him coming to the world. And so what does it look like when the gospel actually goes into a place and becomes a living part of that place? Um So the word enculturation is more used in the Catholic circles, and the word contextualization is more used in Protestant circles. But they're fairly similar. Um, There are some other terms that maybe are more familiar, like adaptation or indigenization or reformulation. Um, But these are more the terms that the scholars today are using. Um, And so Laurentine Magesa. So I'm going to be referring to some African theologians. Um but before we do that, I want to share an African prayer with you guys that we can do together. <laughs> mm-hmm. To start us off. So you can start with the bold and then I will continue in the non bold. Uh, so together this it's morning, morning. Shall sing a song. praise to God.
1: Strike the upon the ground. God who gives us all good things.
0: The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid Say peace
2: Oh peace. peace
0: Peace to the children Oh <coughs> peace to the children Peace to our friends Oh peace, peace to our friends Peace to our parents
3: Oh peace, peace to our parents
0: Peace to the gardens Oh peace to the gardens Peace in the cities Oh, peace, in the peace in the workplaces.
2: Oh, peace in the workplaces.
0: Peace to the country. Oh, peace to the country. Peace in the world. Oh, peace in the world. Grant us your peace, Lord. Amen. Amen. <coughs> um, and so, this specific prayer is a Kikuyu prayer. Um, so, Kikuyu is a tribe in Kenya. So, there's many many different tribes and so this one came from them. And so as you can tell even from these prayers, there's different language like talking about the drums and so drums are a big part of the culture and part of their worship. Um and and maybe words that we might not choose um here in this culture, but something that we can learn from and give us a new perspective on how we might be able to use these words to praise and worship God. So Laurentine Maguesa, um says this is what enculturation is. He says, it is understood to be the process whereby the faith already embodied in one culture encounters another culture. In this encounter, the faith becomes part and parcel of this new culture. It fuses with the new culture and simultaneously transforms it into a novel religious cultural reality. Um, Does anyone have questions on sort of the definition of enculturation, contextualization? Well, if you do, throughout, feel free to raise your hand. (laughs) We'll be talking more about it. Um, So now that you sort of have an idea of what that means, I'm going to show a video clip of John Piper. So he did a sermon back in 2009, and he... We went on a bit of a tangent in his sermon and talked about contextualization. And so I'm going to play this. He's an American pastor and author, if you don't know who he is. And we'll hear this right now. Okay. Stress something.
3: This is the gospel. It's not the only way to talk about the gospel. It's just the way Paul's talking about it here. Our job as believers, among many other jobs, but ultimately is to spread the gospel to everybody who doesn't know the gospel. All the people groups of the world. This is called missions if you cross cultures. To try to get the news... Them. Now, what's the news? Now, the reason I'm asking this is because so many people make missions so complicated. Endless discussions of contextualization and way over the top, in my judgment, on some of them. Now, picture this way of thinking about the gospel. The first thing we see here is that it is... Universally and absolutely relevant for every human being on the planet, no exceptions, with barely any contextualization. There was an Adam, you say to somebody who doesn't, what is Adam? The very first human being. You are a descendant from him. He sinned, you're dead because of his sins. That is understandable. You may not agree with it. But you can say, as a human, you inherited that. The reason you die is because he sinned. You're a sinner. You're all going to die. Second stage in the Gospel presentation. The Son of God is like that Adam. He came to start a new humanity by rescuing people from this old humanity. And he came into the world, and he never sinned like your and my forefathers sinned. Never. Perfect obedience. We will one day stand with Him before an infinitely holy God to face Him because we've all sinned. His righteousness was performed in order that you might be counted as obedient and righteous and perfect through faith in Him. So just as you were united to Adam and died because of his sin, you may be united to Christ and live because of His obedience. That word must be told everywhere with barely any contextualization. Gotta learn the language man, father, origin. It'll blow their worldview out of the water, of course, just like it blows your worldview out of the water. We think, well, we white folks, Americans, been here 300 years and absorbed Puritanism. Now we got the world you figured out. Our our brain set in America just fits perfectly with this book. It's just like a hat. Wrong. <laughs> oh, this book blows American brains and every other culture. And our job is to say it because every human being you meet is in chapter five. Your family is in chapter 5. Your kids are in chapter 5. Your parents, your colleagues at work are in chapter 5. Every human you see on the street is in chapter 5. And the same truth is true about every one of them. And the same gospel applies to every one of them. And it isn't complicated. It's just mind-blowing.
0: Okay, so that was John Mm Faber. And he's arguing that the gospel actually doesn't really need much contextualization. Um, So I'm here to say that actually contextualization is important. Um, So maybe with your neighbors, talk about whether you agree with him or disagree or what you disagree and agree (laughs) with. So spend a minute or two, I'll draw us back. (laughs)
2: I'm a big it. going to I'm not
0: <laughs>
2: what do you think, Jeff? Well, first of all, I really like He And he uh, has a What do you think? I it has to be a little bit uh, that would be an open Because a lot of people don't understand
1: Yeah.
2: Um, because we're dealing with this type are going to some Really, the 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 when I down to you're going on
4: Main Street, You don't have much time.
2: Anybody that's down there that's not so, um, going to get their picture. of the is and and, bread, and no, it's the yeah. 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 and then you've got I
5: don't like these guys. Okay, they yes. give you a good shot like that. And yeah, can, I think it you can can shot, you're know right away. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it like this. You know,
1: you don't
2: agree with it. Well, there is a price that but
0: you'll Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, uh, your, your friend Olivia, uh, <laughs> yeah. <back> home, exactly. <laughs> we,
3: we had a, a time together we, we, oh, yeah, nine it was really great,
2: and I tried to text her, and I think her kid, she might have changed I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay,
5: I kind of figured it out Where's that Hello! Hello!
1: Hello!
0: Hello. (laughs) Well, sounds like there are some great conversations going around. Um, Does anyone want to share a brief, just for the larger group, of initial thoughts?
6: Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. The watchword, I think, is balance. We mm. have to avoid one extreme or the other mm-hmm. uh, no individual culture or subculture can get everything right
0: mm-hmm.
2: the fall means that any sort of personal or corporate utopia is impossible
0: mm-hmm.
6: so let's keep our expectations realistic
0: Yeah, balance is a good word
6: yeah. our, our yeah. groups basically summarize faith comes first it doesn't matter what else culture but that's where it starts that's where it starts to make a difference
0: okay, okay. thank you
5: I would so my interpretation of what John Piper would say is the Bible gives it to every human being. It's, mm. it's there as a gift to every human being and it's it's its core teachings are accessible to us all. And so you you needn't tailor it very much to be an American presentation or an African presentation. Mm-hmm. Just preach it, and it's just simple, and I don't don't know, it it doesn't tell you what clothes you're supposed to wear to church, so go ahead, Africans, wear whatever clothes you want to church, or Americans, wear whatever clothes you want, but you're sinners, and you need to be saved, and Hmm. the the Bible was made for all humans, and so that's what I'm getting from what he's saying, and I'm interested to hear what you say, because I think you think... He's a little bit wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I like John Piper, um, but there's some aspects of this that I I think are really good. Um, there's other aspects which sort of I'll go through that, that I think we can add a bit more information to that can be helpful. Um, so that's where we're going to go now. Um, so let's say um, that we summarize the gospel like John Piper did. So let's say we have this, God created the world and everything in it, humans sinned and relationship with God and the rest of creation was broken, Jesus came and died for our sins and resurrected, and because of Jesus we can have relationship with God for eternity. Um, So let's say for right now, this is our gospel message. If I were to say this in another country that doesn't speak that language, that would not be helpful, right? Um, If I were to translate this message word for word, um, in equivalent to the English way that it is, that also wouldn't make a lot of sense. So are there many of you that speak another language? A couple? Yeah. And so usually with another language, you'll still have to translate, which means you'll have to think of what, what word can I use? There might not actually be an equal word in that language. Um, what? How can I describe that thing in that particular language? So maybe the word sin actually in a language doesn't even exist. And so what do you do then? How do you explain this?
5: Can I just say that in the original, it's Hebrew and Greek that tell us this stuff. Well, it's already had to be... What's your word? Enculturated? Contextualized
0: or enculturated. Yep. For us. Yes.
5: But but it's I, so I think Piper would be fine with that. Anyway, go ahead. I just want to clarify that. Yep. Uh, it wasn't in it wasn't originally in English, so. Yep. It had to be done for us.
0: Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Scripture itself, translated into English from the original language, was contextualized. But Scripture itself was even written in a culture, in a context, and so. Faith, the gospel, wherever it has been throughout time, on earth, in creation, has been in a particular culture, in a time, and in a place. And I guess what I'm trying to get across, and John Piper does say that language translation is helpful, but... I wanna say that actually language translation itself is also highly contextual, that it, it does take contextualization. You do need to think about that culture that you're speaking into, what the words mean, and, and what words are in association with particular words. So when I was in India, um, St. John supported myself and Olivia Smythe to go to India. Um, when we talk with people who weren't Christians, Uh, we would tell them, Jesus loves you. And we chose this phrase instead of saying, God loves you, because there are millions of gods there that Mm -hmm. they believe in. And so even though the phrase that God loves you is true and good, saying Jesus loves you as a beginning point was more helpful because it would distinguish from which of the gods Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, eventually, hopefully, they would be able to see God loves you and recognize that that is Jesus. Um, But starting points, understanding the context and the language and what the words mean in that particular context is needs contextualization, Um, because words, the gospel isn't just words, right? The gospel is is living. It's breathing and it's moving and alive in a time and a place. And as a fish might need water, um, the gospel's water is culture. That's what it's moving in. Um, And so so Piper in his video, he sort of gives this idea that the gospel is sort of this entity on its own and that can be plopped here and here and here. But I don't think it's that simple, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, And that was 10 years ago that Piper said that, so he may add different nuances now. Um, So I don't want to bash Piper, like Piper. Um, But, yeah, I just don't think it's that simple and that much of a blanket statement. Um, So... All this to say um, that language and context matters, and I don't think this just applies to where we are in the world, um, or different languages and cross-culture, but I think even here in Vancouver, right? Like, if I'm speaking to someone who's five-year-old, that's gonna be different than how I talk to someone who's 30 years old. If I'm speaking to someone who grew up going to a christian school but doesn't know jesus that's going to be different than if i talk to someone who has no church background at all and so just understanding our language and and trying to use language that they actually already understand and can then associate um what you're saying rather than giving them new words that they they don't have an idea for yet okay um So I'm going to sort of jump to the Bible now. (laughs) And so can anyone think of areas where we see contextualization happen throughout scripture?
2: Um, Gentiles.
0: Yes, there's Gentiles. Adapting
2: the gospel through them. Like, should they be following Jewish, Mm -hmm. specific Jewish rituals and restrictions?
0: Yeah, so Paul... Paul, who is doing that, speaking to the Gentiles and the Jews um, throughout Acts, he has these three specific speeches in Acts. We see this in chapter 13, chapter 17, and 26. And so chapter 13, he's speaking to Jews. And when he speaks to the Jews, he actually draws on the history of Israel because he knows they know these things. He knows that they know the certain people that he's talking about. And so he uses that to share truth with them. Chapter 17, I'm going to read a bit for you here, and here he's speaking to the pagans of Athens, and he says this, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown god. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the heaven and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us for in him we live and move and have our being and some of your own poets have said we are his offspring so he's referencing their own poets to actually try to share truth with them um He's talking about this God who made the world. So there was other creation narratives going on. So he's saying this, this is a God who created the world. Um, And he he says, you guys have this inscription to an unknown God. Well, I'm going to put a name to that unknown God. So he speaks into the culture and what they know. (coughs) In chapter 26, he speaks to King Agrippa. And here he takes a totally different tactic. He goes into his conversion story to share truth and how he was saved. And so Paul, he's contextualizing and he knows his audience and he, he has an idea of what they already believe and actually just uses that to share the gospel. So, I wanna jump into another aspect of contextualization, um, this idea of the universal gospel. So Piper talks about this a bit, and like this group said, that yes, the gospel is for every culture, every place, and every time. Um, But what does that actually look like? And so, this guy here, John B. Taylor, um, says this. Does anyone wanna read this for us?
2: Christ has been presented as the answer to the questions a white man would ask, the solution to the needs that a Western man would feel, the savior of the world of a European worldview, the object of the adoration and prayer of historic Christendom. But if Christ were to appear as the answer to the questions that Africans are asking, what would he look like? He came into the world of African cosmology to redeem man as Africans understand him would he be recognizable to the rest of the church universal? And if Africa offered him the praises and petitions of her total uninhibited humanity, would they be acceptable?
0: So he poses some interesting questions. Uh, Father Ororbatore, he's a Nigerian Jesuit priest who we actually got to go visit and listen to um, while we were in Kenya. He says that theology does not operate in a vacuum and every attempt to understand faith is grounded in our experience. As an individual has unique experiences, that will highlight different aspects, thoughts, and theologies and questions, um, as does a culture. So in Africa, we found that questions around HIV, AIDS were very prominent, um, and how to deal with that as Christians and, and what the role of Christians was in sort of walking alongside people on that. Um, or questions about what does it look like to be in a place where the history is colonization and Christianity was brought in that way. Um, what, what does that look like? And so these, these are questions that people in Africa, in the church in Africa, are asking and wrestling with. Um, but it's different here. We have different questions that we're asking. Uh, the church here, we're asking a lot about sexuality and how do we respond to what our culture is saying about sexuality. Or what does it look like to evangelize in a post-Christian culture where Christianity was a big foundation but now a lot of people don't believe that and already have these associations with Christianity. Um, So we're asking different questions. And so I think each perspective, um, we we can learn from each other and the questions that people are asking in different places around the world. And this is the diversity and the beauty of the church. And it's only when we gather people from different cultures where we come to see this universal gospel that does transcend different cultures. John Mark Ella, so he's a Cameroonian sociologist and theologian. Um, He says this, the universalism of Christianity is not an established fact It simply appears on the horizon of a promise that comes true in the dialectical tension produced by the confrontation of different cultures. So when I was in Kenya, I interviewed a group of young adults there in a Catholic parish, and I want to ask you guys the same questions, but from your Canadian point of view. And so we'll go through this. So the first question I have for you is what would you say makes a Canadian different from an American, Asian, or African? You could just shout it out.
2: (laughs) Question's too broad. Don't know enough about Asians and Africans, right?
0: Yeah. Well, what? Yeah. Culture. Culture? (laughs) Yeah.
6: John? I know one staff, Canadians were 50% Catholic. I was curious what Americans, if they're the same, but... Asians, I don't know, Africans, I don't... I, 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 most African, most Anglicans are African, I know that, but
1: mm-hmm.
6: when that, of that John Piper screen, is that white, American, Puritan? Well, how many Americans are Catholics? It sounds like it's not as much as in Canada, how we spoke.
0: Yeah, so different places will have different, um, maybe different proportions of the denominations and whatnot.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, different proportion of Christians.
2: And what about yeah. differences between different Asian... And African cultures
0: yep yeah but what about Canada what 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 do you see in Canada maybe in our culture you said culture uh, what in Canada is maybe different from other places
1: We're like the Americans we grew from the start with multicultural society mm-hmm. so we don't have one tribe in our history we don't even have one country or something as a background. Mm -hmm. And that is actually quite different from some other countries where they have culture and language Mm -hmm. in common going back millennia, you
0: know. Right. There's many people from many different places, and we have many people speaking many different (coughs) languages and different cultures coming here.
2: On the other hand, we don't have tribal territories where those boundaries are more significant than national boundaries.
0: Right, right. So it's easy to go across (laughs) Borders oh. and whatnot. Sorry, yeah.
3: we do have tribal boundaries. that oh. are More important than national boundaries.
0: Yes. Please, Jeff, share more about that. It's called My First
3: Nations, Nations Communities. All yeah. Have.
0: Yeah. And so Canada, like the First Nations were here, are ready to begin with. And so they became colonized, right? And so having that in mind as well is very important, especially... Mm, yeah, they're included um, and, and very important as we think about these things. And they have such an ah, incredible voice that we can listen to because there are many indigenous um, Christians that are looking at how does, what does it look like to be a First Nations Christian? Um, and, and they have unique perspectives that they can share with the global body. Okay.
4: Um, what I would say is, from a children's point of view, being a Canadian child is very lucky. Is they only have three hundred years of history to study, but being <laughs> a Chinese kid, you got to study five thousand years.
5: So.
0: Yes. Yeah. History. <laughs> yeah.
5: I I think um, Asians have quite a different relationship between parent and child than and they respect their elders more?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I can attest to that. <laughs>
1: I think that the concept of affluence, because I think that a lot of, in North America, we tend to think about how do we self-actualize ourselves, so it's very much me-focused, as opposed to, I think, in some other cultures where you're dealing with more issues of survival of you and your family, or opportunities for you and your family that might not be as, as core is mm. for some people. I'm not saying that there aren't people in Canada, but by and large, yeah, I think we think about what do I want to do as opposed to will I survive?
0: Yeah, so more of an individualist country. So I'm going to move on. Um, so I asked this group of youth, young adults, and I said, what would you say makes an African different um, from Asian European or North America? So they said, black skin, diversity, many different languages and cultures in one place. Um, technological advances, dancing, they have a dance per tribe that they can actually see the dance and they know which tribe that's from. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And traditions are big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. But black skin is only true of sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. In the North, they are not black. Color? Yeah, so we were
0: in Kenya, yeah. 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 but yeah, there there is diversity within Africa. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very big place. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what would you say makes a church in Canada different from a church in any other place?
4: <laughs> I think it's uh, uh, much uh, more reserved, publicly more reserved, more uh, hmm. proper. Uh, okay. bigger, but it's not as spontaneous as... In
0: other places. Did you grow up in a Pentecostal church? So maybe some churches have a bit more structure.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Let's say that
5: a church in Canada is full of Canadians, which makes it very different from a church in any other country.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So
5: so that's a silly way of saying that we bring so much of our culture in our minds and in our lifestyles, our patterns into church with us it's just assumed mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. if we go to another church in a totally different nation it looks so different but a lot of that is, is just the embedded culture yeah. that those folks live and breathe in
0: yeah. so how the culture influences <coughs>
1: one of the, the examples of that that, that I've experience is just how in your, see from a Canadian, in your face you are with people, like, and I think in our congregation you think twice about asking people personal details about their health or their family or their finances, and I think in some other cultures it's very appropriate mm-hmm. to to be much more um, open and honest and less reserved about what's really going on in your life. Yep.
6: I, I thought I researched why it's more seems more individualistic here versus other countries think we come here there's more abundance so since there's more abundance we don't have to rely on family members we can so thus we become more um, individualistic here and that's a result of, of a more of a plentifulness of here in the, both North and South America but, but some similar thing worldwide. Every 200 miles, a dialect changes no matter where you go. So that's the similarity. But very are individualistic. I think that's how it's... That's not sometimes good because sometimes in a very family-orientated place I've been, and I go six blocks away, and it feels very staticky, disconnected, and disturbing. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit disturbing how we become individualistic here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) There's many different reasons for that. Um, But individualism, like we said, like that that isn't just part of Canadian culture, um, it has seeped into the church as Mm -hmm. well. Um, So I asked the young adults in Kenya this, and I said, what would you say makes a church in Africa different from a church anywhere else? They said, um, some are attached to customs, so some are still attached to witchcraft or rituals. Um, They have songs that express African culture uh, yeah. The marriage ceremony is different, and they have marriage ceremony songs that sort of reflect the culture. They said it's lively, and they have uniform and dressing. So everywhere we went, the choir was all in African print in wow. their yeah. uniforms. Any place we went, Catholic, Protestant, Pentecostal, wow. and all the different denominations within Protestantism. Wow. Um, so that was really interesting. Can I ask
4: a question? Yes. I found the churches in Canada. You can uh, find the real gospel Bible-based church, but like churches in the communist country, like communist mainland China, it's the three-cell church. So a lot of things they are, are forbidden to talk about, like Jesus' second coming right. and the God is like you know. There they you will say the Communist Party is my foundation, not God is my foundation. Mm-hmm. My cause.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. God. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Thanks so for sharing. Like true gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is that's really interesting.
6: But one guy in our church, he's from Hong Kong. My mom's dad's family is from Southern China too. And it became communist in China after World War II. It was in such a mess. But before the World War II, China was not communist.
0: Hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna move on. Um, so how do you think faith and culture interact? How would you respond to that? A lot. <laughs> Maybe someone who hasn't spoken? No thoughts? Oh. None?
2: I don't think one is without the other, right?
0: Hmm. Yep. Um,
2: you know, I mean, uh, the Greek religious words once had a sec, you know, much simpler secular meaning. Resurrection, erect a statue, apostle, political envoy. Mm. That's all I meant. Mm. And, but they were given meanings through faith, if you like, or through the concepts they needed to represent. Right. And... Um, the pronunciation of Jesus' name was changed to suit the mm-hmm. speech, and yep. how often do our words alter to suit the way that we pronounce them? Yep. And uh, uh, culture is an essential. Mm-hmm. Every group has a culture of some sort. Yep. And one is not without the other, and the influence, and the influence is mutual.
0: Yeah, there's a what our friends in Kenya said, symbiotic relationship. Which I was like, oh, I haven't thought of that word for this. What is symbiotic? Um, symbiotic basically means mutual relationships. So they, they influence one another. In a, I guess it could be a a good or negative way. Um, yeah, they said that they complement each other. And so how would you say, actually, I'll let you reflect on this one on your own. How does culture influence you? Think about that. So this is what the student said. Um, Someone said it's the real me, my background, sense of belonging, education of other cultures, example intermarriages and learning from each other. How boring if we were all the same. Um, So it provides entertainment, different dances, some cons though, uh, for example, conflicts between cultures or tribes, Um, some may think they are superior, some cultures carry out illegal practices, so they gave female genital mutilation um, as an example of that. Okay, so this is my last question (laughs) for you. Um, what do you think the Canadian church has to um, share and contribute to the global church?
2: We might have to be careful, I suppose, because, I mean, every culture has its deficiencies mm-hmm. and errors in thought and practice, and yeah. um, so in other words, We'd yeah, have first off just have to distinguish what was valid and what was not,
0: because
2: yeah. we wouldn't want to share the.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So recognizing what are what are the good things in the church in Canada that we we can share, and maybe that will look different at each of our churches because we have such a wide variety of different churches in Canada. Um,
1: there are. Um, I've known of lots of people that with uh, theological training in
4: that that have gone out to India or Africa or places and they put on seminars or conferences. We've got three women from our church right now in South mm-hmm. Africa sharing what they've learned about leading women, women's groups and all of that. Mm-hmm. We can share the knowledge and the education that we have. Yeah. Share it around
1: the world.
0: We have a lot of resources and accessibility here to many things um, that I think is something that that we can share, but obviously, and of course coming with a posture of humility. Um, Because often, I think throughout history, it hasn't gone that way of coming in a posture of humility. It's been in a posture of superiority and saying, we know this and we're going to share this with you, Um, but instead rather, how can we come together and say, hey, like, this is how I understand Christ to be, and this is how you understand Christ to be. How can we learn from one another um, as people in the body of Christ? Um, And so the Kenyan students said this, that what the church in Africa um, can contribute to the global church, enthusiasm to appreciate various cultures, uh, encourage others to appreciate their cultures, diverse songs, Um, they said that there's such a willingness to learn other people's languages wow. in that culture, mm-hmm. um, and so they're happy to learn their friend's tribal language and sing that song in church and sing another one, um, and I thought that was quite beautiful. Uh, there seems to be a less divide between different denominations mm-hmm. and between Catholics and Protestants. Um, they seem to have more dialogue between wow. um, each of them, and yeah, and so that that was sort of a case study. That i wanted to share with you um
5: can i ask a question I'm yes i'm not sure what that so are you saying that there's more division amongst the africans are, they, are the africans saying there's more division amongst the africans or amongst christians in Canada?
0: um i think they're saying that this is something that they see is really good in their church in africa that there isn't much of a divide between these different denominations, where maybe in other places there could be. Good. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, any other questions? Concerns? Okay, so I'm going to talk a bit maybe why some people might not contextualize. And so I think some of these things have to do um, with pride and fear. And I'm gonna talk a bit more about this. Uh, so contextualization takes a lot of discernment, right? Um, and it's, it's a lot easier to go across the world and across borders without any contextualization. And it's a lot harder to enter a new culture and learn about that culture and actually discern what is hindering of the gospel and what is promoting of the gospel. Um, but it's also hard, like in um, Kenya's case, of how do we as an existing culture um, who receive the gospel from people that are not from here discern what was actually the gospel and what was of that other culture. And so that often happened with those who colonized Africa. So the Portuguese came in and said, it wasn't just you need to become Christian, but it was sort of you need to become Portuguese and you need to change your name and whatnot. So that would be... A not great example of um, not contextualizing at all Uh, but on the other side you can over contextualize and I think Piper was sort of speaking to this side where sometimes there's too much and this can lead to syncretism where Christianity looks no different from the religions and the culture around them and is actually unrecognizable to the global church and so, this is right that there is a bit of weariness um, in that direction, and Willigio, um says this that this might be why people feel this way. Uh, they feel enculturation aims at creating a different type of Christianity, a faulty doctrine of our faith, and lower the Christian standards established at such a high cost of lives and efforts. They suspect it would divert the Christian growth by introducing its superstitions, long-condemned, elements of paganism long forgotten and create synchronistic Christianity. Um, so while this is something that we need to be aware of, um, it doesn't mean we should throw it all out. And he says these things are a good measure of how, how do we actually discern then what is good and what is not good of a culture. And he says this, uh, first, any culture Any inculturation must be based on a deep understanding of Christianity and the local cultures. It is only when the two are well known that the synthesis that is salvific will emerge. Second, the inculturation to achieve the expected results should be done within the ecclesial community with the full support of local bishops. So this is a Catholic um, theologian. It is not the work of an individual theologian or pastor. It should involve the entire people of God in that community. Third, any meaningful inculturation should respect the common rule of faith, the central doctrine, doctrines of Christianity, and the necessary relationship between the local and the universal church. Last, no inculturation should put into use without the prior pastoral and cate- catechal education of the Christians. And so he has a big emphasis on community and accountability as part of this process. This isn't just something we're doing on our own, Trying to contextualize but this is actually a community thing so that so i think scripture is a, is a good marker and and community in just helping to discern what we can accept of a culture and what we cannot um okay so my last point we're gonna wrap up soon here um so contextualization takes humility. It's not easy. Like it, it's really hard. When I went to India, we we dedicated two years to learning culture and language because we saw that it was important and we saw that we did have a certain lens that we were coming with. Um, we didn't end up actually getting to stay two years, but that's another story for another time. Um, and I think I was really discouraged by meeting many different missionaries, um, most from North America, who did have this posture of coming with superiority, coming, um, living in the exact same way that they lived in America, in India, um, and yeah, and, and weren't contextualizing. Um, and it does take humility. So one of the top five challenges actually for missionaries is conflict, uh, not necessarily with the culture, but actually between group members. Uh, and so in many ways, it would be a lot easier for a missionary to just go by themselves and to do what they wanted, to preach what they wanted, evangelize the way, the way they wanted, and just make decisions by themselves. Um, but this is actually dangerous because there's no accountability, um, and there are unique circumstances where people have gone up on themselves, and God uses that. Um, but um, as Willigio said, that community is a huge part of this idea of contextualization. Uh, but humility, it takes a lot of humility to learn from people who you might very well disagree with. And, but I think coming with that posture, that actually helps you to speak into and share the gospel in a way that, that their worldview can understand. Um. yeah and so I guess something as you leave here today just to think about um, why why does this matter or maybe for you you're thinking why does this doesn't matter Um, why why does this or not matter to us here in Vancouver today and and how might you already actually be contextualizing the gospel Um, How might we have received a scripture that has been contextualized um, for us? Uh, What what does this look like? And to end, I'll read this quote here. Um, Through patience, hard work, community efforts, sincere dialogue, and mutual trust, The future will certainly bear out the truth that only when Christianity becomes authentically incarnated in the local cultures does it become really strong and alive and shine out more beautifully and above all acquire the nature of permanence among all the people of the world. Mm. Amen. Mm.
1: Does
0: anyone have any questions? Yeah.
1: What would you say is the
0: role of the Holy Spirit in, in culturalization? Mm, That's a great question. Holy Spirit is needed in this process. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think if there is a lot of reading on that. I guess I can mostly just speak from my own personal experience of being in India. And, you know, when we went to um, our language teacher's place, and it was a Hindu festival, and she offered us food, I had to decide on the spot, oh my gosh, like, was this sacrifice to an idol? I don't know, was it not? Like, this was not a question I had to wrestle with um, in this context. And and on that spot, having to discern um, what what I should do. And I did end up eating it. Um, and. You know, and you are going to make mistakes and might question what you did, but you can learn from that. But it was helpful to have my friend there, and we debriefed it and thought, like, what What do we think of this? Um, and, yeah, but, yeah, dependence on Holy Spirit is really important, is especially when those moments that you don't have time to think really hard before it comes, because it might just come. Um, and, and depending on the Spirit and, and what God has revealed to you um, through through your own experience in his walk with him. Yeah. Thanks for that.
3: Is your bottom line so far in studying this something? Are you you confident that this is a good good inquiry and it gets to good ends? I would tend to think, obviously it is. The God of peace is a God who's good for all cultures Mm. and what he's done for the world and healing it in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we can be confident in He'll, he will write and relate himself to every culture. Yes. Is that, is that your bottom line? Something like that?
0: Yeah, I think my bottom line and my hope for today is that this is already happening, whether we know it or not. Um, and how can we be more aware of it so that people will hear the gospel in, and understand it? So, not just. Um, Hear these words that maybe are this gospel message, but really understand it and take it to heart with what they have experienced and what they know, um, wherever that may be in the world. I think that 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 is my hope. Yeah. And how do we actually learn and see value in in people and places that are different from us, um, and see what is God doing in that place, and see what they have wrestled with theologically, and how do we learn from them on issues that we have not spent a lot of time as a culture as a church in Canada maybe learning about
4: Um, uh, someone in this church is uh, working in the downtown east side and uh, she said to me that when (coughs) she was out on the streets um, instead of talking about Jesus she talks about Uh, the characteristics of Jesus, the spirit of truth, uh, the creator, um, and that people are able to receive um, um, and allow her to speak more about (coughs) truth. Mm -hmm. Um, So she is, this is just something that this group Mm -hmm. that she's working with has discerned that sometimes um, the name of Jesus just because of in our culture in the downtown east side right. um, they just uh, back away. Right. But they don't, they're, once trust is is gained and these people who are out on the streets ministering to all and sundry mm-hmm. um, and they talk about these of uh, God, but in describing His characters, His character, mm-hmm. and using that, they they come, mm-hmm. they receive. So I I think wow, that's a way of doing this, um, uh, sort of presenting the gospel uh, without you would just think, well, we have to mention. The name of Jesus they do eventually if there's um if they can invite them in but initially
0: right there might be different starting points for each person depending on the people yeah. and I think make not having um, a black and white rule for every person of this is how it should be for all people but who are you speaking to and maybe for some people they might have a, a really heavy negative association with the name of Jesus that actually might take them a bit of time to soften to that. And, and, you know, the hope is that they will get this idea that, you know, we are sinners and that Jesus died for us and that we have relationship with God. Um, but sometimes getting there and to those phrases or that um, the essence of that idea might, might be a bit slower um, than we might think.
4: There was also, and, and some of you may recall this story, I don't know where it came from, um, the this story of somebody probably in two centuries ago that went to Africa and was ministering on his own to this tribe and um, uh, was there for three years um, and then uh, died and the, um, somebody else came along later and was talking about uh, the gospel and um, they said, oh, we've met Jesus. He was here three years ago. Um, you know, like, and so, like, what better thing? <laughs> like, they associated the, the the ministry of this man mm. um, who had gone out and given his lifeblood to this particular tribe with what later people came along and and spoke about. Mm. So, again... That's that's the kind of thing that we're after, mm-hmm. ultimately, is for them to understand the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I, I I don't know where this story mm-hmm. came
0: from. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. Uh, well, thank you all. Uh, and if you have any questions, give them to David in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>